Well, we come to the first attribute of God that we're going to be looking at uh, today. It's the first of 10 sessions. Um, and the first uh, attribute of God that we're going to be looking at is the holiness of God. What does it mean that God is holy? And in the next nine sessions after um, this session, we'll be thinking more about different attributes of God um, like this one. But the holiness of God, what, what does the holiness of God mean? Well, the thing is the world wants a casual God, a buddy, someone who can be on their level. This world, even I guess the broader quote-unquote church, is infected with a shallow thinking about God. The attributes of God are really taught, dwelt on, or even considered at much length by many Christians, and yet it is one of the most important areas of theology and doctrine. And so what we're looking at today to start off this series is the holiness of God. How high and set apart is God? But before I do that, let me pray. Gracious God, as we see what your word teaches us, about who you are and your holiness. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to marvel at how high you are, how lifted up and how exalted you are above all people and all things. And we pray that you would make us to marvel and help us to see you in all your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to ask you, how high is your view of God? How high and exalted and lofty is your view of God? Because that's what we're looking at in this session. The highness of God. The holiness of God. The otherness of God. And as we look at that and think about that, it will form the foundation for our understanding of who God is as a whole. And so we consider the first question, what is holiness? Well, A.A. A. Hodge said, the holiness of God is not to be conceived of as one attribute among others, even though it is an attribute. He's saying the holiness of God is not to be conceived of as one attribute among others. It is rather a general term representing the conception of his consummate, so his complete, entire, perfection and total glory. It is his infinite moral perfection, crowning his infinite intelligence and power. It encapsulates, so what Hodge is saying is here, it encapsulates all of who God is, the sum total of God's attributes. Thomas Watson said, Holiness is the most sparkling jewel of God's crown. And so even though we can think of God's holiness as an attribute, which is what we're looking at today, in one sense, it it is like an the attribute of God which gives the the beautiful uh, sparkle, if you like, to every one of other of, of God's attributes. It is the crowning attribute of God and is the sum and substance of His entire being. Just like every one of God's attributes, it touches every other attribute of God, but the holiness of God elevates every other attribute. So when we think about God's love, God's love is a holy love. God's truth is a holy truth. God's justice is a holy justice, and so on. What does the word holiness mean? Well, in Hebrew, it's kadosh, or in Greek, hagios, and it means to be distinct, to be set apart, or separate. And it's used primarily 
in this way. Now, when we think about the Trinity, each member of the Trinity is holy. In John 17, 11, God the Father is called by Christ the Holy Father. The Son is called the Holy One of God, recognized by Peter and even by demons, that he is the, the Holy One of God. And the Spirit is called the Holy Spirit about 90 times in the Scriptures. And so when we think about God as a whole, he is holy. But in each, each of his persons, in the three distinct persons, each of them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are holy. But in fact, we can go further than this. In fact, whatever God consecrates or sets apart is called holy in the Bible. Now, God is holy in and of himself. But whatever God consecrates or sets apart is then called holy because God makes it holy. When something is set apart by God for his use or because of its relation to God, it is called holy. For example, Deuteronomy 33 verse 2, angels are described as his holy ones. In Romans 1 verse 2, it says the word of God is contained in the holy scriptures. In Deuteronomy 7, the people of God are called holy people. In Psalm 11, the temple in Jerusalem is called the holy temple. In Nehemiah 11, Jerusalem is the holy city. In Psalm 2, God dwells in heaven, it says, on his holy mountain. In Exodus 20, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath is called the holy day. It's a day that's set apart from the other days. The promised land is his holy land. In Exodus 3, the ground where God met Moses was called holy ground. Why? Because it was where God was. And this idea of holiness brings out this idea of a difference. And when we think about God being holy and all these things that God sets apart, there is an idea of a separation from one thing to another. Now that ground before God went there in the burning bush with Moses, it wasn't holy ground. But as soon as God set it apart for where he met Moses and where God was at that specific time, it was sudden. It was holy ground. It was set apart. And so this idea of holiness brings about this idea of a difference. But when we think about God, we think about God and his holiness in two main ways. God is unlike us generally as, number one, the creator is generally set apart from his creation. But two, God is holy because he is the one who is pure in that he is set apart from sin and sinners. So God is unlike us. He's set apart from us, both from us, from we as creatures and as sinners. So let's have a think about the first one. God is set apart from us as creatures. God is completely other. And when we think about this, God is altogether different and set apart in his glory, in his power, in his wisdom and his righteousness, in his authority, his goodness, his love, his truth, his grace, his, his knowledge. In every aspect of God, he is other than us. And this, if you could put it this way, this is the succinct rhetorical question of God's holiness. Who is like God? Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like you among the gods, O Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? 
in the plagues of Egypt. It says multiple times that God brought the plagues. Why? It says, Exodus 8, it says that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh our God. Chapter 9, and that there is no one like God in all the earth. And so if you think, if you, if, imagine if you got a page or a piece of paper or a whiteboard and you drew a great line horizontally across that page and then you put the word creator above that line and the word creation below that line, that's what God's holiness is. He is in a complete category set apart and different from his creation. There is no hierarchy of created beings that make it into God's sectional category. Even the highest archangel and the lowest bug are all in the same category. God is unlike anyone or anything else. In fact, since God's holiness touches all of his attributes, then we should see that all of his attributes are so great and high and unlike ours. That's why in Psalm 36, verse 5 to 6, and I want, as I'm reading this, I want you to get the picture of how big uh, and, and, and limitless um, God's attributes are. It says, Psalm 36, verse 5 and 6, it says, Your loving kindness, O Yahweh, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep. O Yahweh, you preserve man and beast. All these attributes of God are so high and deep and strong. Why? Because God is holy. Have you ever thought about it? That's why in Ephesians 3 it talks about trying to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Christ's love is a holy love. You can't measure the breadth and length of it the height or depth of it. It's holiness which gives it this quality that it is unlike any other love. It's limitless. You can't measure it. The love of Christ, in, in, a, in a real sense, is a different kind of love to us. Yes, it's an attribute that we share with Christ. But Christ is so much greater. It's on a perfect level. And so even though we know that God is like us in, in that he, we are made in His image, as creatures... Yes, we can have a relationship with God, but God in and of himself is in a category so unlike us in many, so many ways. Now, when we think about God's attributes, there's only one attribute of God which is emphasized to the third degree in Scripture. It's not God's love, though many evangelicals think it is. It's not God's wrath, though many hyper-Calvinists think it is. It doesn't say God is love, love, love. It doesn't say God is... Wrath, wrath, wrath. No, it's God's holiness. In Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 3, it says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Did you notice that there? God isn't just holy. He is holy. He is holier. He is holiest. Raised to the third degree. And for the Jews, when they repeated a word, 
it, it emphasized it. It was like highlighting. It was like underlining. It was putting in bold. This is the greatest emphasis something could have. And what, what is it for? It's for God's holiness. But in, we also have the same thing in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 4 verse 8, it says that the unceasing cry of the four living creatures is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Now because God is holy, it means that he is what we would say transcendent. It means high and he's lifted up over his creatures. So when we think of God, we think of him as over all things. And that's why, that's why it says in Isaiah 6 and elsewhere in, um, that he is on a throne high and lifted up. So he's transcendent. But it also means when, God is, when we think about God as holy is that he's majestic. He's full of splendor and glory. And when we think of God as holy, it means that he is sovereign because he reigns as king of kings and lord of lords. God is completely other. And so when we think about God's holiness, that's the primary meaning we should think, that God is unlike us as his creation in all of his attributes. He is completely other and set apart from us. But also, the secondary meaning is that God is pure. God is pure. Not only is he set apart from his creation, but he's set apart from sin and sinners in his purity. As such, there is no trace of sin, there is no wickedness in him, and he has the full measure of all that is good and right. Habakkuk 1 verse 13 says, Your eyes are too pure to even approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. His eyes are too pure to even approve, or it can be translated, to look on evil. Yes, God sees all the sin that is in this world, but he cannot look on it with favor. He cannot approve it. Every act, every thought, every intent of God is completely righteous and perfect. He does not err. He does not fail. He does not make a mistake. He does not act unjustly towards his creatures. But what it also means is that God's word, his commandments, are also holy. It means they're perfect, they're right, they're true, they're free from any error, they're pure. And they're different from our laws, the laws that we have in our lands, which are changing all the time, which are, which are often subject to error, and they're sometimes unjust. In 1 John 1 verse 5, it says this, it says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. He is perfectly pure. And that's why in the tabernacle there were <clears throat> different sections. There was the outer court. Then there was a, you know, and, that, and that's where most of the people could go. And then there was a more restricted section called the holy place, which only priests could enter. And then there was the most holy place, or the holy of holies, which only the high priest could enter, and, and that only once a year. And in order to get into the holy place, which the priest could enter, right, they had to be set apart from the rest of the Israelites. And in order to get into the most holy of holy most holy place or the holy of holies, only the high priest could go, and even he was set apart from the other priests. 
And in order to be set apart, they had to undergo cleansing to purify themselves ceremonially. And so they had to be consecrated and set apart and purified, as it were, with various sacrifices and offerings for guilt that had to be made. They needed to be ceremonially pure before they even thought about drawing near to God. And so when we think about God as holy, yes, he's set apart from his creation, but he's also set apart from sin and sinners. And because he's pure, it means that because he's holy, it means that he convicts sinners. As sinners, we naturally, John 3 says, we hate the light and we don't want to come to the light lest our evil deeds be exposed. Because even if we did want to come to God, we couldn't. Right? But even if we did want to come to God, we couldn't. Why? Because He's so pure. He's so holy. Evil, the Bible says, evil cannot dwell. God cannot dwell with evil. Evil cannot dwell with God. Why? Because He's holy. Because He's pure. And that's why, and that's why Christ had to come. Because even though the, the sacrifices were offered in the Old Testament, right? They could only last for a while. They could not cleanse from sin, even in and of themselves. They, in and of themselves, they couldn't ultimately purify the worshippers of God to come into His presence. No, they had to have somebody that that truly dealt with the impurity and the lack of holiness that the people of God had, and that's why we had to have the perfect, holy One of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, because God is pure, it means that He's unapproachable. Psalm 24 verses 3 to 4 says, Who may ascend into the hill of Yahweh? Who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Is that you? Is that me? Are we, are we perfectly clean and pure spiritually in and of ourselves outside of Christ? No. And so when we think of God as holy, it actually, it actually should distance ourselves from God. We should feel no comfort from God. We should not be comfortable with God outside of Christ. So that's what the light and purity of God's holiness does. It convicts us of our sin. It shows us how impure we are and how unapproachable God is because of that. And so we have a need in light of God's holiness for someone to bridge that gap between us. If God is so infinitely separated from us as creatures, and if He's so infinitely separated from us in His purity from we who are sinners, there is an infinite gap between holy God and creatures and holy God and sinful mankind. And so we need someone who is both truly God and truly man, who is infinitely transcendent and yet is like us, not like us in our sin, right? Because that's 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 what the high that's what stopped the high priests of the Old Testament from truly atoning for the people of God. They weren't perfect, they weren't spotless, they weren't pure. But we need someone who is yes God and infinitely transcendent and set apart as it were, who can represent God to us. But we need someone who is infinitely pure, who is like us, yes, as, as a man, and yet who is infinitely pure and spotless. And so that's where we have Christ. Christ, I want you to think about this. Christ was totally holy in every way. <clears throat> he was totally holy in his incarnation. Who else was sent by God as the perfect Messiah? 
who else was conceived by the Holy Spirit? And so when we think about Christ and his incarnation, who is like him? Remember that, remember that rhetorical question of, of holiness? Who is like God? What about Christ's life? Who was it, the Bible says, that did all things well? It's Christ. Who else could teach without authority? Who else could forgive sins? Who could do the miracles Christ did of of his of out of himself all the all the apostles did them by God's power and God's strength with no divine right to claim them as coming from themselves who else never sinned and was perfectly obedient before God so Christ was holy in his life but who else was how else was Christ holy he was holy in his death who else could take upon himself the sin of his people and bear that sin and bear the wrath of God on behalf of sinners. Who else? Christ was holy in his death. What about his resurrection? Who else could not be held by death? Who else could defeat death and Satan? No one else aside from Christ. When we think about the ascension of Christ, who else is sitting at God's right hand, interceding for his people, ruling over all, and who will come back one day to crush his enemies and gather to himself all of his people. Who else? Can you see why Jesus is called in Scripture the Holy and Righteous One? The Holy One of God? There is none like him. Jesus was never corrupted by the sin of this world. He was never corrupted by Satan. He was never corrupted by the sinners around him. He could spend time around the greatest of sinners. Indeed, he said he had not come to call the righteous. Indeed, it's the self-righteous. But he had not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And yet it had no corrupting influence on him. And that's why we have to watch out. Yes, we are to we are to we are to be gracious to and welcome sinners and to tell them the gospel and right, but we have to be wary because they corrupt us and yet they had no corrupting influence on Christ. In fact, he had a holy impact on those around him. And so, when we think about this idea of holiness, we can never divorce it and separate it, as it were, from Christ. And so when we come to our response, when we think about the holiness of God and we go, wow, God is so holy and pure and set apart. It's not a, it is not a doctrine. And this is what we'll see about all the attributes of God. It's not a doctrine that is, that is, that is so removed from us that, we, that it does not, does not affect us at all. No. How should we respond? And the first thing is, is that we are to then strive for holiness. All believers are holy now as saints. They're positionally holy before God. That is why they're called saints, holy ones. In Christ, they are set apart. And so they are to now live out that status, right? Positional status as holy as saints in their character and life. Now, what is holiness? It's set-apartness, if you like. Set-apartness. A separation. How are Christians separated? Well, they're separated from something to something. They're separated from sin and to Christ. And so even though we are positionally in Christ by union with Him, we have before God a perfect standing, a righteousness before God, and all our sin before God is done away with. So we are positionally saints. We now live out that status 
are already present status in our character and everyday life. So just as we have been holy and are holy in Christ, we are to be continually separated from the world to Christ. We are to have an increasing conformity away from sin and to the image of God in Christ. We are to look different from the world around us. And so we cannot claim to be Christians. We cannot claim to be holy in our status before God if we are not living out that in our everyday life. 1 Peter 1 verse 14 to 16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But get this, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, it says, for I am holy. So the Holy One, it says there, has called us. So therefore we are to be holy in all our behavior. And so our holiness is driven by the holiness of God. The holiness of God in Christ. And so when we meditate on the holiness of God, we should increasingly desire more and more to be increasingly made more like God in His holiness, free from sin, separated from sin. We can no longer play around with sin. But we desire to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And so it's interesting, we have this dual idea of God is so set apart from us, and yet He calls us to be like Him. Be holy, for I am holy. And so in a very real sense, God is in a category all like Himself, and yet in Christ, we can be renewed as we are set apart from sin, as we are made more like Christ in our character. We can be made more like God. It's a glorious truth, which we cannot fully wrap our heads around. But what else? How should we respond to God's holiness? Well, the next is fear. Or does this truth, doesn't, doesn't it make you marvel? If it doesn't, then you don't understand truly who God is. Or your heart is being so sinfully cold, as mine certainly often is. This holiness of God should make us fall on our knees and be in awe of God. Full of reverence. We should fear God. Revelation 15 verse 4 says, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. It's unthinkable in the book of Revelation here. It says, it's unthinkable. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. I mean, who wouldn't? But when we realize God's holiness, it will make us fall down and fear Him. And this leads to the next point, humility. God's holiness and His transcendence should cause us to be lowly. Isaiah 57, 15 says, Thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell, ready? I dwell on a high and holy place. That's the transcendence of God. But who does God dwell with as well? And also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. So there's humility, right? Why? Because we're, and lowness, why? Because we're creatures. But there's contriteness of spirit. There's, there's a mourning of sin. Why? Because we're sinners. See, can you see the two things there? As creatures, we're lowly, and as sinners, right, we're contrite. So the humility works itself out. And lastly, we're to respond with praise and with thankfulness. 
Psalm 30 verse 4 says, Sing praise to Yahweh, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. That should be the final response when we understand God's holiness. We should praise him and we should thank him because he is so magnificent. And so as we go through the other attributes of God, all of them have this sparkle to them, this beauty to them, that they that all of his attributes are raised all the more because God alone is holy. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much that you are holy. We praise you, Lord. We praise you for you alone are holy. You dwell in high and holy place, but also with those who have a contrite and lowly spirit because they recognize how they are to be before you. We pray, precious Lord, that you would help us to be in awe of you. We pray that we would, because you are holy and because you have made us holy in the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that we would, yes, fear you and praise you and be in awe of you, but that we would strive with all of our hearts to live holy lives set apart from sin to you. Help us to desire to be conformed always more and more to the image of Christ while we look to him who is exalted in the heavens, who is the holy and righteous one. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.